0: Welcome to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope this podcast encourages you, challenges you, and furthers your relationship with God in a whole new way. Enjoy this week's message. Amen. It's worth coming to church just to watch the announcements. <laughs> what a great job. Wow. Um, Pastor Glenmore and Pastor Yolanda are out of town this weekend. They took a weekend just to really seek the Lord for this coming year, so I praise God for pastors who want to do that, amen? So they have took a break and they're just really seeking God and asking for direction, asking for his counsel and and what he wants to do in and through us this coming year. So thank the Lord for that. I want to say a word about the fast. Um, I want to encourage you to participate. I, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but I feel like there probably are some who feel like, wow, I can't do that. 21 days with no meat, <laughs> with no ice cream, I can't do it, right? And so you're, you're thinking, I just can't do that. So, so your, your tendency then would be to do nothing, and that's what's concerning to me. So I encourage you, if you feel like, well, I just can't do all that, and so I'm just not going to do anything, to stop and rethink that and think, okay, well, what can I do? And so, you know, maybe one meal a day you go without meat. Now, you know, if you don't normally eat meat for breakfast, that doesn't count, right? So it has to be another meal, Um, and, you know, you, you can give up. Uh, my point is, just do what you can. Don't not do anything. That's terrible grammar, but you get the point. Don't not do anything. Do, do something. And, and you know, Daniel, when he was doing the Daniel fast, he didn't wake up one day and think, you know, I think I'll do a Daniel fast. I mean, he, that wasn't what happened. He was just so desperately seeking God for an answer that that's what, that's what resulted from his... Heart cry to seek God is that he just pressed in to know God and he simply just ate vegetables and drank water and, and just sought the Lord and that's what he did. And so now we have what we call the Daniel fast. So so anyhow, I just want you to be involved. I, I hope that every single person will will give some effort at at seeking the Lord in fasting this this next 21 days. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, very good. Um I want to turn to Philemon, verses four through six. And Pastor Gwenmar began a series last week on prayer. I'm going to continue that series today. And for my part in this series, I'm going to take a look at a specific prayer. And so let me just make a couple comments about, um, about some of the prayers that you will find in the epistles especially the Pauline epistles in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, I think in Thessalonians, I can't remember for sure. He begins his letter to those people with a prayer for them. Now in the book of Ephesians, he has another prayer in the middle of the book. And so what I wanted to do today was basically kind of three things. Number one, I want you to, to, because Pastor Winmar preached last week on intercession, which is praying for someone else, um, I think, and, and I really felt the presence of God, and I really felt the power of God as we all gathered at the front at the end of the service to seek God about being intercessors. I really felt God was anointing that time. But I also know that for many of us, we don't know how to intercede. What do we say? Do we just say, oh God, help them, help them, help them? What do we say when we intercede? And so <clears throat> hopefully, just by seeing how Paul prayed this prayer, and, and when you, and then I encourage you to go back and read the other prayers, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3, um, Philippians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Read where Paul was praying for people, and I think it will, you'll be like, wow, so that's how you intercede. That's how you stand in the gap for people. Those are the things that you say. Those are the things that you ask for. That's how you seek God for someone else. Secondly, what I want us to get from this is what I call owning the prayer. And what I mean by that is what Paul prayed for the Ephesians or what Paul prayed for the Philippians or what Paul prayed for, in this case, the individual Philemon, what what he prayed for them applies to us. We, we, can, we can own those prayers. So when, when he prayed for the Ephesians, I pray that God will fill you with the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you will know him better. You can put your name in there. God, I pray that you would fill me with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I can know you better. And so I want us to kind of pick up on that as we go through this. Then the third thing and the primary thing for today is I I want us to take a look at this particular prayer and see exactly what it was that Paul was praying and and understand what it was that he was praying and own that for today. That's my hope for us as we get into this. So the book of Philemon is an interesting book. It's one little short chapter and it's a a short little letter and I'm not going to talk about the background of it. But, but Paul is writing this individual, and he's basically writing him, uh, he's sending home a runaway slave that had run away from Philemon, had, and Paul had met him, Paul had led him to the Lord, and now he's sending him back home to Philemon, but he says, he says I'm sending him home now as a brother, not as a slave. And so that's the, that's the occasion of the letter. And so in verse 4, Paul says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Now, that last little phrase was just typical Pauline um, p- p- parenthetical statement. He's just, he just said, I- I'm praying for you. Then he says why he's praying for you. And then he begins the prayer that, so in verse six begins the prayer that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. This is a shorter prayer than typical. Typically, Paul's prayers are longer, but this is one little short, just very concise but very powerful little prayer, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of the every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to unpack that together today. Father, I pray you'd help me to say what you want me to say. Help me to not say what you don't want me to say. Help us to hear the word. I pray that you would change our lives. God, we can't hear your word and not be changed. So I pray that you would change us today. Help us become more effective, um, deeper. God, that you would move in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, I had actually journaled this verse several weeks ago. I don't remember when it was, but, but I journaled it because of the phrase that the sharing of your faith may become effective. And one of the things that I've struggled with for two or three years now, and I, this is true confessions time, but one, one of the things I've really struggled with for several years has been that I, I rarely share the gospel with unbelievers, I, I, um, you know, I get up in the morning, I get, I get to the office early and, and my office is filled with Christian people and then I teach in a Bible college and so hopefully they're all Christians. I'm not sure of that, but I think most of them are. And so I, I, uh, you know, I teach there in that Bible college and then I come home to my Christian wife and we have a Christian dinner together and, and then I go to bed and I get up the next day and we start it all over again. And, you know, I have very little interaction with unbelievers. I mean, I do go to the grocery store and, you know, but usually I'm on a mission when I go to the grocery store. I have it all mapped out. I know exactly where I'm going to go, exactly how it's going to go and I'm in and out, but I'm just always on a hurry. And so you too, Tom, I think that's the typical male way to do that. And um, I, can't, well, I won't go into that, but anyhow, so... <laughs> so but I, and I, so I really have struggled with that. I, it has been a real point of uh, just a burdensome thing for me for the last couple of years now. And I've been really asking, Lord, God, how do I do this? And I've thought about, I've thought about joining a bicycle club, but I'm afraid I can't keep up, so I don't want to join. <laughs> so, so, you know, all kinds of things. That, but, but I've been praying about that, and I've been struggling. So I had journal about this, that God would help 2022 become a year that I finally turn a corner. And I finally began to, I used to lead people to the Lord all the time. And so I just really want to do that again. And so I was praying that, and I, and I wrote, I journaled about that several weeks ago, and I just journaled, anticipating 2022. Well, to my great surprise, when I started doing some study on this particular verse, it says that when, when, it, when it says that the sharing of your faith, the word sharing is the word koinonia. And that threw me for a loop because when we think of the word koinonia, we think of Acts 2, that, that all these, this, the, it, the church was birthed in the fires of Pentecost and, and 3,000 souls were saved and they were all gathered together and they were committed to the apostles' doctrine and to the fellowship, the koinonia, to the fellowship together. And so I thought, wow, I guess I've completely misinterpreted this verse. I thought, what have I, I've journaled that something that doesn't even fit the scriptures. But, don't, hang on with me for just a minute. I, I just thought, but But it doesn't seem to fit. Because the verse, of course it could just be saying that, I just want your fellowship to be effective. I guess it could be saying that. But it really seems to be saying more. It seems to have the connotation of, of sharing that outward and that you're effective in doing that. And so I really began to ponder on it and think about it and study it, and that's what occasioned me. I thought, well, if the pastor wants me to preach. I'll preach about it. So, so it's really just flowing out of my own devotions. But, but when I begin to study that, it's interesting. The, the word koinonia, every time, almost every time that Paul uses the word koinonia, it always has to do with our fellowship with the Lord. It doesn't really have to do with like you know gathering together and having cake and punch and cookies. It doesn't mean that. It means it means that it's it's our my fellowship with the Lord. One of the most profound examples is in 1 Corinthians 10, where it says that our fellowship, when we when we take the cup of blessing, he said, Isn't that the fellowship of the blood of Christ? And when we take the bread, Isn't that the fellowship of the body of Christ? And so you have this picture here of the fellowship being upward to the Lord, that we are connected with God. It wasn't just Paul. The Apostle John pretty much said the same thing in 1 John. He said, I'm praying that you can have fellowship with us. So there you have this sense of we're all together in fellowship And he says, and our fellowship is with God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And so we have this, so the picture then is that we are in fellowship together as we're in fellowship with the Lord, that that enriches our fellowship. Well, but it still left me a little stumped because I I thought it meant that I'm sharing my faith that I'm, I'm ministering the gospel to someone who doesn't know Christ. Well, I think it actually does mean that. And this is my opinion. This is the best that I've come up with so far. But here's what I think it means. And this isn't the main point of today's message, so I need to kind of hurry on through it. But, but here's, here's what I think it means. I think that he's saying that as you, as you experience, and we'll talk about that in a minute, that like you experience the fellowship the, the rich communion between you and the Lord, that that will be so rich that you'll begin to draw... Now listen, you'll begin to draw other people into it. And, and they'll begin to experience what you're experiencing. And, you will, and the result of that will be that they will then also be turned to the Lord and they will come to a place of faith as well. See that? Now I, I firmly believe that there is a place for what I call confrontational evangelism. I've done a lot of that in my life. I've never been very effective at it, but, but where you just go up to someone and begin sharing the gospel with them. And, and in essence, the first thing you're trying to do is you're trying to get them lost. You're trying to get them to realize they're lost and that they need a savior. And then you point them to Christ and you lead them to salvation. And, and some people are very effective at that. I never have been very effective at that, but I've done a lot of it. And I believe that that is, I believe it is a valid way of preaching the gospel. But that is not what Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about here is someone who lives a life in such rich communion with God that they just begin to draw people into their orbit. You see that? And, and And they're then also captivated by Christ. And they come to faith as well. Amen? And so that's what I believe he's saying, that you, that you are, the, the, the sharing, the fellowship, the koinonia of your faith will become effective. Well, then he talks about how it would be effective. He says it will be effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. And I don't know exactly why the New King James chose to translate this acknowledgement. The word is epigenosis, which means knowledge. And so he's saying, I want you to be able to be effective, your koinonia, to be effective by the fact that you know something. When the word gnosis, epignosko, gnosis, and forgive me for doing the Greek, but you can do the Greek as easily as I can. I'm not a Greek scholar, believe me. I can pick out little words here and there, but I... I, I'm not. A, you can do just what I do. Just go to the Greek materials and say, "Well, Lord, I thank you for the little bit I do know, but I'm going to pay attention to what the guys that do know a lot and go study what they have to say." And and the word gnosis is such a fascinating word because what it basically is saying is this. And I don't want to lose you. Are you guys with me? What he's saying is this: the the word gnosis in the Greek usage, nothing to do with the Bible, just Greek usage had to do with experientially knowing something. So what I mean by that, let me give you an example. Let's say that I was born into luxury. <laughs> That's a far stretch. I was born into luxury, and I, and I lived my entire life in a climate-controlled environment. That I never went out into the heat. I never went out into the cold. I just lived in a climate-controlled environment my entire life. And, but I lived in Texas, and you would come in, and you would tell me about the heat. That was going on outside. I would know that. It would be something that I would know because you had told me about it. But then let's say one day, one afternoon on July the 12th, right? The middle of July, I decided to go outside in Texas. And I went outside, and at that point, I would gnosco heat right? I would would not just know it because you told me it's hot outside. I would experientially know heat. You see that? You guys follow me on that? It's, we know something because we've actually experienced it, is what he's saying here. And so he's saying, I want you to experientially know something Well, in the Greek culture also it had this connotation that because you experienced it, you became familiar with it and you became personally acquainted with it. So you become experientially and personally knowledgeable about something. And what is it that you're personally and experientially knowledgeable about? Well, this is the heart of what I want to share today. You guys with me? All right, so he says that you would experientially and and personally know every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Because it, you know that, because you experience that, that is going to cause your life in Christ to become so rich, your fellowship with the Lord to become so rich that you're going to draw other people into your orbit and lead people to Christ because of that. That's what he's basically praying here. And so what does it mean when he says every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus? Well, he doesn't unpack that for us here, and so he just leaves it hanging. And so what that basically is is everything that's in the Bible, right? I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, we're discovering all the goodness that God has poured into us through Christ. So, but what I want to do is I just want to take what I think would be three categories that would encompass most of what Paul would have preached and taught because Philemon would have been pretty much at this point in his life pretty dependent on what he had learned from Paul he I mean he could have heard from the gospels but that would have come later he could have read Peter and James but that would have come later so at this point pretty much what he's heard has come from Paul so I thought what would he know what would he, what, what is it that he could experience, experiencing know that he had already heard? And so I want to talk about three categories that I think that, that if we know this, if we understand this, this will help us have a life of such rich fellowship with God that we can draw people into our orbit and lead them to Christ. It will also, it also will help you to know how to pray for others, that you want to pray this very same thing for other people so the three categories that I want to talk about, that the the riches that we have in Christ, is number one, salvation by faith. Well, that's so basic, you're thinking, well, okay, you could have come up with that. But that is the number one thing that we want to talk about. Second category would be our identity with Christ. And the third thing would be the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So those three areas, I think, would be what Paul is praying. I want you to experientially know these things. So the whole idea of salvation by faith, of course, that is what Paul is most known for, that that teaching of salvation by faith. It's amazing to me. I teach church history at, at the college where I teach, and every year I get depressed when I teach it. I know I've said that before, but I do. I struggle with it. I just think, God, how did we get so off so quickly? By the third century, the church was already pretty much losing the whole idea of being saved by faith. And they were already, it was it had become very legalistic, and it had become very ritualistic. And, and so, I mean, and pe- and people would, when they went into sin, they didn't know that they could actually be forgiven. And there was this whole idea, well, I guess maybe a priest can forgive me. And, and it, was, it was a mess. It was just completely a mess. You think, how did we get there so quickly? quickly i don't really know well you fast forward that for 1500 years and you have a society that is bereft of any spiritual light almost well almost any spiritual light there was some but i mean it just was it was tragic as how of of the condition that europe found itself in spiritually and that really affected all of society because the church was society in that day And then, of course, in 1517, a a monk who was despairing, he thought, I can never know for sure that I'm saved. I can never be worthy of God. In fact, at one point he said, I don't love God, I hate him, because he was so despairing of ever having any confidence at all that he could be a saved man. And one day when he was reading the book of Romans, he read Romans 1:17, 17, and he, and he found the just shall live by faith. Boom! And the light went off for him. And he rediscovered the, the, the doctrine, the teaching, the truth, the rich deposit that Christ has made in us of salvation by faith. Amen? We take it so for granted today. We've heard it all of our lives And in fact, I think we've gone too far the other way with it sometimes. But we are saved by faith through grace. And and God, God gives us that blessing that we are saved and sanctified and set free all by the grace of God. Amen? And I think what Paul was praying for Philemon was, I want you to know this. I don't want you just to know it in your head. I want you to experience what it means to be justified by faith. I want you to experience what it means to know that you are saved, period. Amen? We need to know that. Praise the Lord. When We don't wonder about it, and we think, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough, I don't know if I'm worthy enough. Here's the newsflash. You're not. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. That's the whole point. That is the whole point. We are saved by God's grace. You don't, of course you don't deserve it. Of course you're not worthy. Of course you're not good enough. That's the point. We are saved by grace through faith. Amen? And I believe that we need, and until we really get that in our hearts and really understand that, that, that our fellowship with the Lord will never be as rich as it could be. In fact, it won't be rich at all. But when we understand, oh, I'm saved. God has looked on me and my failure and my ugliness and my sinfulness and my dirtiness, and he has loved me just like this, and he has saved me by his grace. Amen? Wow, what a discovery. We need to understand that. And then secondly, would be our identity with Christ. I think that way too many believers, and I do thank God, that I, I feel like, and, 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 well, I think that we still vacillate sometimes. We Something about the human nature loves legalism. I don't understand it, really. We just love, you just give me a bunch of rules, and that, and that way if I don't follow them, they're your rules, and it's your problem anyhow. But... But, but, but I feel like we need to constantly battle to, to guard salvation by grace. I think we need to constantly battle to guard that. But many, many believers do understand that. But there's more to it. For Paul, it wasn't just, okay, now I'm saved. Now, now I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But now he was identifying with Christ. He was in Christ. Amen. He 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 I mean basically what he said was I am dead. I died with Jesus. And now I'm alive. I live with Jesus. Galatians 2:20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live but not me, it's Christ living in me. In the life I'm living, I'm living my faith in him. Romans 6 that We're buried with Christ in baptism. We're raised with Christ to newness of life, right? Therefore, we consider ourselves dead indeed to sin, alive to God in Christ. So we're identifying with Christ. It's not just that, okay, now my sins are forgiven. Oh, thank God I can can breathe easy. And then, you know, someday when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and then that's it. No, that's not it. You're, you're living a life in identity with Jesus Christ. You're, he, his life is in you. You, you. Your life is in him. You're identified with Christ. I shared, I don't know, sometime back when I spoke, Ephesians 1, and I gave you the challenge. And I know some people took it of just going through there and, and reading every place where it says in Christ or by Christ or through Christ. And when you read that and then put your name in there, that's who you are. That's your identity. You, your identity is in Christ. Thank God for salvation by faith. Thank God for salvation by grace. But thank God also that now we live a life in Christ. Amen? We're, we're filled with Him. Filled with Him. And then The third category would be, um, <clears throat> would be the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's funny, several years ago, actually a lot of years ago, I don't know how many, but a long time ago, I, um, when I first started my graduate studies, I started, I stopped, I started, I stopped, and so it was, took a long, long time for me to find. That's why I'm an old man just now starting my new career. But um, So it took me a long time to finally get my graduate studies done. But I remember having a class on the Holy Spirit, and and the, and the textbook was written by a man who challenges everything that I believe as a Pentecostal, everything. And, and I mean, he, and one of the things that he's, well, I will say this. By the time I finished that class, I was more convinced of my Pentecostalism than ever before. It was just something about that just made me realize, wow. Anyway, you know, I won't go into those details. I shouldn't have said all that. But, but it just I just really saw the fullness of the Spirit in a whole new way watching this man trying to dismantle it. And so, but one of the things that he said that, that, is, that, that was so wrong was that, for, that there's nothing in the epistles about the Holy Spirit. That we Pentecostals are completely dependent upon, and I know that not everybody is Pentecostal in the sense of what I mean by that, but I know that we all value the fullness of the Spirit. And we all want Him alive and at work in our lives. And and what he said was that you only you only get that in the book of Acts. That is so wrong. I mean, it the, the epistles are filled with the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And and, um, and so let me let me just kind of let me just do this. Let's go. Well, first of all, let me do this. Let me read Galatians chapter three. This verse almost makes it seem like. Being filled with the Spirit is the epitome of what it means to come to Christ. Or not the epitome, but it's the final result. It is the, it is the ultimate um, conclusion of what it means to be in Christ. And let me just read it. You, you decide for yourself. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That, and always, I mean, when you see the word that, it's always an important transition. You really want to understand what's getting ready to be said. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Now, notice this that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You see how that progressed through the cross? curses of everyone who hangs on a tree, that we can be brought into Abraham's blessings, that we might receive the Spirit. It's like, wow, so are you saying that receiving the Spirit is the ultimate conclusion of what it means to be in Christ? Well, I think that's what he's saying here. And let me just kind of talk, let's talk our way through that. Let's go all the way back to the Old Testament. Remember when they erected the tabernacle. They were out in the wilderness and they spent a year at Mount Sinai. Moses received the law and they built the tabernacle. They spent a whole year there. They finally got the tabernacle completed and they got it set up. And what happened? The glory of God came and filled that tabernacle so powerfully that Moses, who had been on the mountain with God, could not even enter the tabernacle. It was the, the glory of God filled that tabernacle. Well, you fast-forward a few hundred years, and they build the temple, and they get it completed, and they have a dedication service, and they, they set everything up, and the priests, some are playing trumpets, some are singing, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant in, and they set it up in the Holy of Holies, and they, they walk out, and when, as soon as they had the Ark of the Covenant in place, the glory of God came and filled that temple, so much so that the priests could not stand to minister. All right, so that's the glory of God. But let's fast forward to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us that we as the church, the church, 1 Corinthians 3 is what the church says, don't you know that your body, when he says your body there, he's talking about us collectively, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 pretty much says the same thing, that God dwells in us by His Spirit. And so keep keep the Old Testament picture in, in mind. God has always, God has always designed and desired to dwell among us, to be in us, to fill us. And so you have the glory of God filling the tabernacle and the temple, and now you have the glory of God filling us, the church, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells among us. In 1 Corinthians 6, he narrows it down even more, and he says that our individual bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Amen? that the glory, of, that your body is his temple. What what happened in the temple? The glory of God filled the temple. How is the glory of God filling your temple? He is filling your temple by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's filling us with his spirit. Well, we could go on and on about how Paul valued the spirit of God in our lives. But I think, you know, for the sake of time and for the sake of brevity, I want to just leave it at that. But we, we have this, this picture of, uh, so what Paul is actually praying is, Philemon, I, I want you to experientially know what it's like to be filled with the Spirit of God. I want you to experientially know and be personally acquainted with what it means for God's glory to fill you up, that you are full of God's Spirit. And because the Spirit of God is in you, God is in you. Amen. <laughs> because God is the Spirit, the Spirit is God, the beautiful Trinity. And so we are filled with the Spirit of God. The glory of God dwells within us. And so Paul is praying for Philemon. And I think, and I think consequently, praying for us. Now that's just what I believe. I believe that it's God's no respecter of persons. And what he prayed is continually, I believe is continually working even today. And that what he's praying is that he would, that his, the koinonia of his faith, the fellowship, the, the richness of his communion with God, that it would be so rich that he would be able to draw other people into that and bring them to a place of faith in Christ. And that would happen because he would know experientially the blessings of Christ, which are, you are saved by faith, Philemon. You don't have to work for it. In fact, you could work for it your whole life and not get it. But when you just accept by faith God's grace that he poured out on you and, and Christ Jesus, you're saved, period. Amen. And I also want you to know, Philemon, that you that didn't end there that you have an identity with Christ, that you're dead with Jesus, you're alive with Jesus, you're accepted in Christ, you're beloved in Christ, you're blessed in Christ. All of the, you you, you have an identity with Jesus. I want you to experientially know that, I mean and I want you to experientially know what it means to be filled with the Spirit, that God's Spirit lives inside of you and empowers you and gives you life God's spirit lives inside of you. So my prayer for us is that we would experience all of that. Amen? I mean, <laughs> what, a rich, what a rich way to begin the year is that we begin to experientially know these things. And I, I know that <clears throat> I, I mentioned the church losing its way so quickly. It, it's depressing. But we tend to do the same thing and on a smaller scale. We come to Christ, we're excited, we're filled with joy, we, we, we know what it means to walk with the Lord, and then we can get into just a religious routine. And, and we're good people, we're godly people in a sense, we're Christian people, but, but we can lose that experiential knowledge. We can lose the vibrancy. And so I think we have to shake ourselves sometimes, say, man, I want to go back. I want to experientially know, personally know, all that's in me through Christ. Amen? And then I also want to be able to share it with others. And that's, I pray that we'll all have that prayer. I mean, what a joy if at the end of the year we can all introduce our sons and daughters in the faith, right? People that we've been able to lead to the Lord this year. Amen? Praise God. And that we also are now in hopefully more enabled to pray for others. I mean, what do we say? How do we pray? This is one example of how to pray. And you can read the other apostolic prayers and think, okay, this, I can at least pray this. And you can be more effective in your prayer for others. Pastor Gwenmar shared intercessory prayer, such a huge part of our faith that God would help you to do that by reading these prayers. Amen? Let's stand together. I really asked the Lord, okay, how do you want me to end this, Lord? I don't really know. You know. I don't give an altar call in my classes. So I probably should, but I don't. So how, how does the Lord want us to end this? And obviously, if anybody here has never given your heart to Christ, I think probably everyone has, if anybody hasn't. We would love to pray with you and bring you into the fellowship with Jesus. And and I think for most of us, what I want us to do is just simply own it. And I don't know how else to say that other than just to say it and hope that you get my point. That we own this, that we own the prayer, that we own the application, that we apply it to our lives. Last week, Pastor Glenmore had us all come forward, and I really feel like maybe I want to do that again today. And if you don't want to, that's fine. You don't have to. But I just feel like there's something um, profound about about physically moving, that I, I am moving towards what God has for me. So I'm going to invite you, if you want to, to come and just stand at the front for a few moments and own this. We're going to just be here in prayer we're going to ask God to touch us, ask God to fulfill this in us, ask God to apply it to us, ask God to help us own it, and also that we would become effective in our own lives in sharing the faith. Father, I praise you, God. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Father, for your word. I thank you for the fellowship that we have in Christ. I thank you that we fellowship in the blood of Jesus. We fellowship in the body of Jesus. We fellowship in the grace of God. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that you poured out on us, that you have saved us by grace through faith, that we, Lord God, can rejoice knowing that we're saved, not wondering, not doubting, knowing that we're saved. Hallelujah. And I pray, God, as we stand here together in prayer, that you would begin to minister to every single heart. I'm going to be quiet in just a minute and let you pray. That God would help you to begin to experientially know, experientially experience, to receive all that God has given to you in Christ. It would begin to make sense to you. Begin to Your heart would begin to see it. Your eyes would begin to see it. You begin to think, oh my God, look what you've done in me, Lord. Your heart will explode with joy and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name. I'm just going to be quiet. I want you to seek the Lord for a few moments together. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. If what you heard today impacted you, be sure to tell us about it. You can rate and subscribe to this podcast or contact us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram or our website, calvarylifedfw.com. Thank you so much and have a great week.